Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on Believe, the place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. This is Believe. Every team, every topic, everywhere. I'm your host, Nara Wang, and in episode 94, Jared Sandler, broadcaster for the 2023 World Series champion Texas Rangers and a proud Trojan alum, fresh off of a trip to Oregon to watch the football game against the Ducks, returns as my guest. Jared, great to have you back on the Everything USC podcast. Great to be back. Nara, I could be wrong. I want to say the last time I was with you, it was around the time the Rangers, around the time the Rangers signed Jacob Degrom, and that was a, a really good day and stretch of days for the Rangers. But it was also around the time the Trojans lost to Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. And that wasn't good. So I don't know. Being here is probably good for the Rangers. I don't know if it's good for our beloved Trojans, though. You were actually on to preview that Pac-12 title game with me last year. So it is around the same sort of time. And we'll see how it turns out. We'll get into all of that, of course. And if you enjoy this show, you can subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, TuneIn, and so many more. Or go right to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Network. For me, you can find me on X, or as I am calling it, the artist formerly known as Twitter, at <laughs> Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Jared, if the people want to find out what you're up to, what you're doing, where do they go? At Jared Sandler on the artist formerly known as, what did you say, the artist formerly known as what? As Twitter. Okay, I, I, that's what I thought. I wanted, I wanted to make sure I didn't mess up any. Uh, I don't want Elon coming and tracking me down. But yes, uh, it's pretty simple. At Jared Sandler on Twitter, X, or however you want to characterize it. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online, which remains your top spot for all your live betting action and contests. The last of the major pro sports leagues is off and rolling, and college basketball is ready to go as well. All the hoops, betting action, along with every sport available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time. With NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL all in full swing, BetOnline is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. Head to BetOnline today and remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. In USC's first game following the firing of defensive coordinator Alex Grinch, Trojans fans, who were hoping to see a spark from the defense, were instead... Left disappointed once again as the Oregon Ducks shredded SC for 552 yards of total offense, averaging 8.8 yards per play, and scoring all five of their touchdowns on plays of at least 15 yards, including a 77-yard catch by Tez Johnson on their second play from scrimmage, and an 84-yarder to Troy Franklin on their fifth play from scrimmage that put the Trojans into an early hole from which they couldn't recover USC 
Just 379 yards of total offense. Caleb Williams, 19 of 34, 291 yards, two touchdowns, one throwing, one on the ground. Didn't throw a pick, got sacked three times. Brennan Rice with a little bit of a bounce back game for him. Five catches, 81 yards, and a touchdown. Taj Washington, his usual steady self, four catches, 82 yards. Marshawn Lloyd returned from a game off due to injury. Just nine carries, 37 yards, scored the first SC touchdown of the game. Austin Jones, seven carries, 26 yards, and a touchdown. He did get charged with the fumble in the third quarter when he didn't take the handoff from Caleb Williams on an RPO play. I don't know why he got charged with the fumble since he never actually handled the ball, but maybe they're just protecting Caleb. Who knows? The defense, though, like I said, no sacks, no takeaways. Mason Cobb was the team leader in tackles with nine, but he was also marked with missing five tackles in the game. The top Trojan defender from the last couple of games, Eric Gentry, did not play due to injury. Kalen Bullock, Max Williams, repeatedly embarrassed back in the secondary. Oregon quarterback Bo Nix with a huge game for his Heisman Trophy resume, 23-31, 412 yards and four touchdowns. Named the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week. That is the third time in the last four weeks that the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week was playing the Trojans. Dylan Johnson for University of Washington and Bryson Barnes for Utah. Before Bo Nix did it this past week, Oregon running back Bucky Irving, 19 carries, 118 yards and a touchdown, added five catches for 43 yards. Mentioned Tez Johnson, he finished with seven receptions, 126 yards, and two touchdowns. Troy Franklin had only one other catch besides the touchdown, but had 147 yards total. Terrence Ferguson, also with six catches, 60 yards, and a touchdown. On the defensive side, the star for the Ducks, defensive back Evan Williams, the Fresno State transfer, nine tackles, a sack, forced fumble, recovered the Fumble by Jones and had a pass breakup. And as I mentioned in the open, my guest Jared Sandler was in attendance at Autzen Stadium for this game. How did it look to you, Jared, in person? Because it was miserable to watch on TV. Well, I'll tell you, if you just take a step back from our allegiances and biases and whatnot, that's one of the best college football atmospheres in the country. And I'm sure USC fans don't love me starting off by complimenting anything going on in Eugene, but that's a, if you are a college football fan or a USC fan, I would recommend if you're going to try and schedule a road trip, obviously with the big 10 looming, there are a lot of really cool destinations there. I've been fortunate to go to most of them, but I'll tell you that Autzen stadium is, is pretty special. And uh, I had a, you know, really enjoyable experience. If you isolate only just, uh, you know, the game atmosphere, obviously not as enjoyable, proudly wearing my USC colors and watching uh, missed tackle after missed tackle. But uh, Nara, I don't know your thoughts. I, I know the score was, I guess, somewhat close. They were a two point conversion away from making it a one possession game. But to me, the only reason the score was as close as it was, uh, was because Oregon was a lot of things and among them, very undisciplined. Uh, all the penalties that uh, either killed their drives, despite the fact that it felt like they could hit you with a 50-yard play at any moment, uh, extended USC drives. The, the the penalties helped keep USC in the game. I do not think the game was nearly as close as the score 
at no point did I ever feel like Oregon lacked control of that game. And that's a really disappointing and unfortunate thing to share. Yeah, 13 penalties by the Ducks for 120 yards. And they also played around in the first half going for two-point conversions twice and not making either of them. So I think those were the kind of things that, like you said, kind of made it feel like SC was kind of hanging around and had its chances. But you just knew watching that there's no way this defense is going to hold enough to give the offense a chance. And then when they actually did make a hold, the offense turns the ball over. So just kind of the story of this season for USC. And when you were on this show last year, ahead of that Pac-12 championship game, the excitement around the program, and especially head coach Lincoln Riley, was through the roof. Are you surprised at how much grief Riley seems to be getting now with the struggles that USC has gone through this season? It's funny. I, no, I'm not surprised because I know that this is how it works. It's very fickle. It's what have you done for me lately? But I do think what, what I would say, if I could offer any words of wisdom to USC fans, and I don't mean for that to sound high and mighty because maybe I'm totally wrong in, in saying this, but this is my take. Lincoln Riley inherited an awful program by USC standards. This was a, a program that qualifying for a bowl was not even a guarantee. And they were lacking in so many areas. And thankfully, along with Lincoln Riley came arguably the best quarterback to ever wear a USC uniform and one of the most talented players I have ever seen play college football. And that makes up for a lot of shortcomings. But if you take Caleb Williams away, it is not a great roster. And it's especially not a good roster on the defensive side. And so I think in fairness, it's tough to ask a coach in two years to totally turn around a program. And I think he deserves a little bit more time. But I also understand why there's frustration because with a transfer portal, it gives off the appearance that you can make these corrections a lot more quickly than what is probably realistic, especially when you talk about in the trenches. It's way easier to get a, a guy in the transfer portal who's a skilled player and have them make an immediate impact. Uh, but to ask for an offensive line to be revamped in the transfer portal is probably a little more challenging. But also, I think it's frustrating because you do have Caleb Williams and you are squandering your last opportunity with Caleb Williams to do something this program has not done before, and that is make the college football playoff. And so whenever you've got a guy as talented as Caleb Williams, you want to take advantage of that. So I understand the frustration. I'm not saying Lincoln Riley is perfect by any means, but any sort of notion that Lincoln Riley isn't the man for the job or anything like that, I, I'm not ready to go that far. And I'm not anywhere close to being ready to go that far. I think it is the what have you done for me lately. I think the expectations were super high coming into this season for USC and knowing that Caleb Williams is going to be headed for the NFL after this season. He can say whatever he wants. His dad, his family, his people can say whatever they want. He's not coming back to school. He's going to the NFL, and he should be the number one overall draft pick. But, of course, we'll see. Because I think the problem is by him having to play hero ball to save SC every week, he is kind of exposing some of the, the little negatives that you have to nitpick about Caleb Williams. His ball security is not great. He always does look for the home run play, but some of that is just because of the situation he's in. 
Now, when we look at the future of a defensive coordinator position, who would you like to see Lincoln Riley hire? Oh, man. Let me start off by saying this. Well, two things. I want I want to piggyback on what you just said, and then I'll answer that. Anyone who has watched has watched Caleb Williams here the last few weeks and has done it critically knows this. But for anyone who's only watched passively, like that Oregon game, I, I'm I'm there watching. I'm not actually with USC alums. I'm I'm there with a bunch of friends. We go to a different college football venue every year, and so they're not speaking with any sort of bias and they all mentioned like he's running for his life pretty much every single play i was talking to a buddy of mine named mike cousins who's going to be doing the usc ucla game for espn radio and he was watching film and he said gosh it's crazy i caleb williams never has any time and it's unfortunate that they haven't been able to uh take advantage of his abilities by just giving him below average protection it seems like it's it hasn't even gone to that point as far as the defensive coordinator, I don't think Alex Grinch was the only problem. Clearly, there is a talent deficit. And frankly, watching Oregon just out-athlete USC, we know that USC doesn't tackle. But for Oregon to out-athlete them as well was disappointing. As far as candidates, man, that's a that's a great question. I know that Jim Leonard is a popular name. You know, I've heard a lot of Dave Aranda, although... You know, he's currently what the head coach at Baylor. So that'd be a step down if he, you know, is able to maintain that position. You know, I, I love the way that Oregon State plays defense and Trent Bray. And if you want to look within the division for the present time, Morgan Scally at Utah, I think any one of those names would be great. I know there are more names out there that probably are, are fitting candidates, but gosh, I'd, uh, I'd certainly be really intrigued by Jim Leonard if he felt like he could commit. But I, I have long loved the way that Oregon State has played defense. So Trent Bray is a name that jumped out the minute I heard of the Alex Grinch firing. Yeah, it will be interesting to see with the breakup of the Pac-12 conference, because normally it might be tough to raid within your own conference. But since the conference is breaking up, we'll see what will happen. I know, obviously, Boise State firing Andy Avalos as their head coach, former defensive coordinator at Oregon before he got the Boise State head job. You got the Mississippi State former head coach now, Zach Arnett, who obviously has some ties indirectly to Riley because he was the DC under the late Mike Leach there at Mississippi State. So he would be used to defensive coordinating for an air raid type of system. So there are plenty of names out there, and who knows what direction they will go in, but obviously, there's still one more game to go here in this regular season. We're about to get to that. This is the Everything USC podcast on Believe. I'm Nara Wang. My guest today is a Trojan alum and the broadcaster for the 2023 World Series champion Texas Rangers, Jared Sandler, and... If you enjoy this podcast, you can subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you go to get your favorite podcasts or at our website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Network. For me, you can find me on X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it today, at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Jared, if people want to know what you're up to, where do they go? Yeah, just at Jared Sandler on Twitter or X, or as you uh, put it, the artist formerly known as Twitter. 
This is Roxy Bernstein play-by-play broadcaster for ESPN and the Pac-12 Network. And when I need my USC fix, I'm tuning in to hear everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Network. Now let's look to this Saturday afternoon's rivalry game against the Crosstown UCLA Bruins. It's going to be a 12.30 p.m. Pacific time kickoff on ABC and on the Trojan Radio Network flagship station KABC 790 AM. The Bruins come in at 6-4 on the season, 3-4 in conference. Their head coach, of course, is Chip Kelly in his sixth season there in Westwood. Has a 33-33 record, a completely 500 record as the head coach of the Bruins. USC leads the all-time series. 50 wins, 33 losses, and 7 ties. That doesn't include the two vacated wins that USC had to give up. In the last game, a barn burner last year at the Rose Bowl, 48-45 USC victory. The last game at the Coliseum is one that all Trojan fans would rather forget in 2021. The 62-33 drubbing that the Bruins put on in that horrible season That was 2021. Some of the key guys to look at for the Bruins on offense. They've started three different quarterbacks this season. Kent State transfer Colin Schley started last week in their loss against Arizona State. Redshirt junior Ethan Garbers has started five games. The true freshman Dante Moore, four games. So we'll see who they actually will start against USC this week. They've also kind of done a running back by committee, sophomore TJ Harden, junior Carson Steele, and redshirt senior Colson Yankoff. Their leading receiver is the senior Logan Loya, 40 catches to lead the team. They've also got a couple of names that Pac-12 fans should be familiar with. Transfer wide receivers J. Michael Sturdivant from Cal and Kyle Ford, who used to play for USC. Their top guy on the defensive side of things, senior defensive end, Laiatu Latu, probably the best player on this Bruins team, leads all of FBS in tackles for loss per game and is fourth in sacks per game. But there's a lot of rumblings there across town about their head coach, Chip Kelly, saying that he may be losing his job regardless of what happens against USC. I find that a little hard to believe. I think if he loses to USC, there may be some heat on his seat. But Do you really think Chip Kelly is going to lose his job if USC can beat the Bruins on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, what's tough is offense is his calling card, and that's just been absent. And he's always, at least to me, I've always felt like you can throw 11 guys on on a field and Chip Kelly offensively will be able to figure something out. But yeah, I mean, I remember when UCLA hired Chip Kelly, I wasn't pumped about it just because I have a lot of respect for Chip Kelly as a college coach, but perhaps, you know, other people have caught up to him and maybe it just doesn't have the same sizzle that it, that it did when he was dominating defenses while in Eugene. So I, it actually wouldn't be a big surprise to me. I feel like going to the big 10, you know, this is the time to do it. And, you know, it's important for these universities to have their ducks in, you know, in a row before going to a conference that, you know, has a much different style of play. I know that kind of it's always weird when people feel like conferences have a certain identity, but I guess maybe climate has something to do with it. History obviously has something to do with it. 
some West Coast teams going over to the Big Ten could change that up a little bit. But maybe Usa is looking at it like, hey, he's not having a ton of success. And is he the right guy for the move to the Big Ten? And I wonder if that's uh, impacting their decision making at all. Yeah, it is very interesting that he is exactly at 500 going into this game. It hasn't been as successful as I'm sure most Bruins fans want it to be. And again, Chip Kelly is a guy who is not Mr. Rah-Rah, Mr. Go-Out-and-Press-The-Flesh with the alums and the fans. He just wants to coach football. So he's not a guy who necessarily is going to be out there glad-handing with people. He's not going to ever be known as the governor or the mayor. Some of those nicknames that get thrown out for some head coaches who love to play that game. But when you look at what's on the field, they're actually have had a pretty good D, and I don't know if it's a good enough D to stop the USC offense, but as USC's defense has shown, we'll let anyone throw on us. I think they should start Colin Schley. <laughs> we are terrible against third-string quarterbacks. I mean, it's true. look at what the Cal quarterback did against us. Look at what Barnes did against us. All these guys who used to be third-string quarterbacks, so they should start Colin Schley against USC this week. So how do you actually think the on-field matchups are going to look like in this game when you have question marks on both sides? Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it, it's really strength versus strength and weakness versus weakness, right? You know, they're, they're O and USC's D and USC's O and UCLA's D. I, I do think that USC wins this game. I mean, I, I don't know how much confidence uh, I can truly have in saying that because, as you mentioned, USC just hasn't had a, an easy victory at all. I still contend the Colorado win was an easy win, even though they made the score a little bit less daunting at the end. But really since then, I mean, what has USC done that's inspired any level of confidence? But I think, Nara, I think this is Caleb Williams's last game. I do not think he plays for USC again beyond this weekend. And I think he goes out with a bang. I do think that this is going to be a game in which USC is going to have to run the ball to just give Caleb Williams some time. They're going to have to get UCLA to respect the run. And I do applaud what USC's done offensively to try and get creative with reverses and gimmicky stuff. I hate that it's come to that, but I think they almost have to do that to just force the defense to be less aggressive, even just a pinch to give Caleb Williams time when he is going to receive the shotgun snap and have a more traditional position in the pocket to try and make a play. But I think this is a game that ultimately is won by USC in the air. I think their athletes are going to step up and, and show a little bit of superiority. And as far as UCLA's offense versus USC's defense, I might just change the channel. I don't know that there's anything good to watch when UCLA has the ball, whether it's them uh, and, and what they do offensively or USC's defense just breaking my heart time and time again. But uh, <laughs> I expect USC to win this game. I don't know that they're going to blow out UCLA, but I do hope that this is a game when all is said and done. I believe that this is a game when all is said and done that USC will have control of, whether or not the score suggests any level of dominance. So let's get right to it. The prediction segment. Let me recap what happened last week as my guest was Fox Sports sideline reporter for the SC Oregon game, Josh Sims. And I'm calling it a split. The players that we believed in, I took Zachariah Branch. He had four catches, 21 yards, the one 21-yard gadget play like you mentioned, just two kickoff returns for 15 yards, so not a great game by the true freshman. 
Josh took Bear Alexander, six tackles, two of them solo. So I'm giving Josh the win there. I mean, I didn't think either guy was that great. Would you have any feeling having been there and seeing the team in person? Any feeling about if Branch or Bear was a better player on that matchup? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to say anyone on the defensive side of the ball was uh, of any consequence. But yeah, I mean, you know, Branch did just the nature of Branch's role and position. He did a few things that were kind of flashy, but he also had a couple of poor returns and he had a bad drop on, I think it was second down, maybe on a, a little slant route across the middle that could have been a big play, but he tried to run before he caught it. And yeah, I mean, the, the little gadget reverse play, it wasn't like Zachariah Branch did anything other than run fast. It was, you know, it wasn't one of those plays where he's putting all sorts of moves on to break free. It was actually a well blocked play. So, I mean, I guess maybe Zachariah Branch by default, but I don't know that anyone really uh, is going home eating a big piece of cake with that. So I'm being nice. I'm just going to give Josh the win on that one, I guess. And then in the game score, since he was calling the game, he was not allowed to pick it. I chose 45-30 for Oregon, with the final being 36-27 for the six-ranked Ducks. And SE covering the 14.5-point spread, I will take the win on that. And then in our prop bets, Nara's no-doubter was that USC and Oregon would combine for 1,000-plus yards of total offense. Came close. It was 931. Oregon held up their end of the bargain. USC did not. And then Sims's sure thing, Josh said that Caleb Williams would account for at least five touchdowns, and he only accounted for the two. So neither of us got our prop bet. So now, this week, Jared and I are going to make our picks, beginning, of course, with the players we believe in. And as has been the case all year, Caleb Williams not eligible to be picked. It's too easy a pick for the Heisman Trophy winner. So can't pick him. I'm going to go back to Marshawn Lloyd. I really think that Lincoln Riley has to commit more to the run. It's been good. We just don't do it enough. And Marshawn Lloyd's been a beast. I'm going to say the player I believe in for this one is Marshawn Lloyd. Jared, who are you going with? I'm going to go with Brendan Rice. First of all, I, I thought Brendan Rice was was impressive. He made some really tough catches. That fourth down, the little you know back shoulder pass that Caleb Williams threw his way, it was a contested catch. It wasn't like uh, I mean, it was a great throw. I mean, there was nothing that, that Caleb Williams could have done differently. But, it, you know, there was coverage on him. I thought Brendan Rice made some tough catches. Uh, he had some tough runs after the catch, too. And I'm going to go with Brendan Rice. Thought it, You're right. You mentioned this earlier. Good bounce back. And I'm going to go with Brendan Rice building on it. And that makes you the fifth guest this season to take Brendan Rice as oh, the player man. they believe in. And I've taken him once. So the guy who's been the most popular in this category has definitely been Brendan Rice this season. Well, then you know what, Nora, you know what? I'm going to retract that. I don't want to be like everyone else. All right. I'm going to go. This is a super wild card, but he's a really good baseball player and has close relationships with a few people. A part of the Texas Rangers coaching staff was over at Surprise Stadium in Arizona during spring training and even popped by for a game earlier this year. I think during the summer, probably outside of his football responsibilities. And they've been using him more and more. It hasn't been consistent in terms of his production. But I'm going to go with Deuce Robinson coming up big for USC. All right. So changing it up to a different wide receiver, the true freshman Deuce Robinson. 
instead of Brendan Rice, because Jared just can't be like everybody else. He's got to go with someone different, and you would be the first to take Deuce Robinson this season. So there you go. And the game score, USC is a six and a half point favorite at our sponsor Bet Online as we record this on Thursday. So I'm going to let you go first, Jared. What's the final score going to be? And I think I know who you're going to pick to win. Do you? I mean, it's been really tough to pick our boys here. I, I will pick USC to win, and I can't. I, I Gosh, I just can't see them losing again. I, I'm going to go with 40-33. I think this is a game that hits the over. I think this game stays true to form in terms of the spread. I don't know that this is – I guess the way I see this playing out is USC, if we're going to go the 40-33 score, USC is up 40-26, to and UCLA scores to make it a one-possession game as opposed to USC scoring to break a 33-33 tie, if that gives any idea to the game flow. Like I said earlier, I do think that this is a a contested game, but I think it's a game that USC has control of, at least I – gosh, I hope. But I'm going to go 40 to 33 Trojans on top. I agree. It's hard to have a lot of confidence in USC based on what we've seen the last few weeks. And I'm just banking on the fact that UCLA just isn't that great. I do think, though, that USC is going to fail to cover because USC is just going to let them hang around or maybe be ahead and have to make a comeback. So my score pick is Trojans 38, Bruins 34. So I've got a four-point margin. You've got the seven, having them just covering the six-and-a-half-point spread on Bet Online, And now for the prop bet, Nara's no-doubter for this week. And I have not hit on any of these against the guest in a while, so I'm hoping this is going to be just crazy enough to work. I'm saying that USC will score on a return in this game. So it could be an interception, a fumble, a kickoff, a punt, a blocked kick, a two-point conversion return for two points or whatever. I I just think USC is going to score on a return on some kind of crazy turnover or play in this one. So Nars, no doubter, USC scoring on some sort of return against UCLA. Jared, what is your pick and what are you calling it? I forgot that I had to come up with a name. I, I remember this now. Sure. Uh, Sandler. There's not a lot that, that goes with Jay. Sandler's Stumper? No, that's that's kind of weird. That doesn't fit. Sandler's... Uh, you went Nara's, no doubter. Sandler's sure thing. Let's do that. I got a few. One is kind of a joke. The other one is a little more serious. The one that's a joke is over under two and a half times. Caleb Williams drops back and isn't running for his life within half a second. I'm going to take the under. Uh, And then I guess I'm going to go a little more straight up like standard prop. I saw earlier today, Brendan Rice, 47 and a half receiving yards to me. Take that one to the bank. Brendan Rice, 47 and a half receiving yards. I think that one clears in the first half. I'm going to take the over. All right, so I think you did this last year, too. You had a Sandler's sure thing and a Sandler's not-so-sure thing. So you did two picks last year. So we'll call it Sandler's sure thing that Brendan Rice over the 47 and a half yards in the game. So that's the sure thing for you. And then as your kind of joke type of pick is that it's an under two and a half times that Caleb isn't running for his life after two seconds. 
Yeah. Essentially. And you know what I'd like to see? The not so sure thing under a half a fumble for Caleb Williams in this game. As great as he is, and you touched on this earlier, but he fumbles the ball a whole lot. I think it's something that's going to have to be addressed. But let's go with no fumbles for Caleb Williams uh, on Saturday. So an extra not so sure thing is the no fumbles by Caleb on yes, the yes. game. I right. can't say that with a whole lot of confidence. Yeah, I would agree with the lack of confidence there because as much as I love Caleb, as good as I think he is, he does not handle the rock with a lot of security a lot of the time. So, all right, to recap our predictions, the players we believe in, I'm going on the offensive side with the running back, Marshawn Lloyd. Jared Sandler doesn't want to be like the crowd, so he changes his pick. He's not going with Brendan Rice. He's going to take the freshman wide receiver, Deuce Robinson, instead. In the game score, I have USC 38-34. Jared, 40-33 Trojans. So he has USC covering the six and a half point spread. And in our prop bets, Nara's no doubter is that USC will score on some kind of return in the game. And then Jared, he has Sandler's sure thing, Brendan Rice getting over 47 and a half yards in this game. He also has kind of a joke pick with the Caleb Williams under two and a half times that he is running for his life after two seconds. But the not so sure thing is that there will be no fumbles by Caleb Williams in this one. So we will see how this all turns out in this Crosstown showdown at the Coliseum on Saturday afternoon. This is the Everything USC podcast. I'm Nara Wang. My guest is Jared Sandler, Trojan alum, also a broadcaster for the Texas Rangers. And if you enjoy listening to this show, subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you go to get your favorite podcasts or at our website, believe.com. B L E A V dot com on social media at believe network for me i am on the artist formerly known as twitter or x at nara wang sports n-a-r-a w-e-n-g sports jared if the people want to see what you're up to where do they go yeah at jared sandler on the artist formerly known as twitter this is dane bland head coach of the usc women's beach volleyball team and olympic gold medalist and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on Believe. And back on with Jared Sandler, the USC alum who now works as a broadcaster for the World Series champion Texas Rangers. So in this last segment, I've normally been talking to my guests about the breakup of the Pac-12, the conference realignment. But I already talked to Jared last year about USC moving to the Big Ten and kind of the impact that would have. So I don't think we have to go over it. I think it's more important to talk about the fact that he is a broadcaster for the current World Series champions. And first of all, the Rangers, they hire Bruce Bochy, a guy I'm very familiar with as a San Francisco Giants fan. They bring him in. They've had a bunch of free agent signings over the last couple of years and spent a lot of money. So they have a really great start go through a couple of long losing streaks in the season, end up in a tie, but losing the tiebreaker on the final day of the regular season to the Houston Astros. So they have to be road warriors to begin the playoffs and then this magical run to the World Series, eventually winning it. So 
What was the whole season like for you, Jared? Well, it was incredibly refreshing, first of all, because the Rangers not only hadn't made the playoffs since 2016, but they hadn't been competitive over those six years. It's not like they were knocking on the door, playing meaningful games in September, coming up short. You know, there was a a 90-loss season last year, 100 losses the year before that, 90 losses a few years prior to that. 2020 would have probably been a 90 or 100-loss season had it been a full 162 games. So just going into the season, knowing that this was a team that had a chance to compete was, you know, really refreshing and rejuvenating. And then for them to get off to the start they did, I think was really important as a team that hadn't been good in recent years. It set the tone early that they mean business. And, you know, they did have a a rough stretch for a a six or so week period towards the, you know, end of August into September. And then obviously the season didn't end on a a high note to the regular season by losing the final game, which cost them the division. But I mean, at the end of the day, at the end of the night, whatever their journey was, it ended in in the most brilliant of ways, winning the World Series. And it was just such an incredible experience uh, for, for everyone involved. And I'm just grateful that I got a chance to be a part of the ride. And when you're going through that playoff run, especially with all the road games to begin with, what does the momentum feel like as it's building? Like it's got to be palpable for you being around the team, right? Yeah, I mean it's it was a weird 180 from losing game 162 one nothing to the Mariners, a team that after the sixth inning took out their starting pitcher George Kirby. They weren't playing for anything, and they threw out three relievers, one of whom was good, but none of whom would have been pitching in a one nothing game in the seventh, eighth, or ninth innings if they were really trying to win. And it just seemed like an opportunity for the Rangers to take advantage, and they couldn't, and it was deflating. It went from, we're about to win the division and get a bye and have some time off to, wait a second, no, we got to go fly from Seattle all the way across country to Tampa and get set to take on a 99-win team in a best-of-three series with all games going uh, to be on the road. And the Rangers were a good road team early on, but then really struggled on the road over the final couple months. And, you know, they go and they they win the first game against Tampa. And I think that got a little bit of a weight lifted. And then they go and they take care of business in game two pretty emphatically. And all of a sudden it's like, all right, you know, not only are we back to where we thought we were going to be, you know, playing in the American League divisional round, but we just took down a 99-win team pretty easily. Let's go. Let's, you know, let's see where this goes. and. And then after beating Baltimore and sweeping them, and that's, you know, a 101-win team, I think that's when it really started to kick up. Not that there was an intensity before, but now you're getting ready to play your division rival. Forget division rival. You're just your overall prevailing rival, the Astros. There had been some back-and-forth chatter. There's a history between these two organizations. And there was a growing sense of confidence that, you know, this was the year that the Rangers were going to be able to slay the Astros. and. uh it wasn't the easiest path to get there in seven games, but they did it and obviously took care of business against Arizona. But it was just, it was a lot of fun. Playoff baseball is so intense. It's so exciting and it's so meaningful. And uh, the Rangers, you know, by all accounts, they didn't have the most tumultuous run. You know, other than being down 3-2 to the Astros, they swept the first two rounds and they won the World Series in five games. They took care of business relatively easily compared to, your typical postseason run. It had to be sweet to take on the rival Astros and beat them to go to the World Series. 
and then in the World Series, gets off to a good start. But how much worry was there when you lose Adolis Garcia and Max Scherzer to injuries and have to replace them on the roster? Yeah, I, I think the Max Scherzer one, first of all, both of them, you know, you'd rather have them than not. The Max Scherzer one didn't seem to hurt as much because the scenario in which Max would pitch again would be a game seven. And I think there was some thought, well, all right, let's just not go to a game seven. Now, when, when Max walked off the mound in game three before, you know, the Rangers had won the game and it's a one one series at the time, you know, it, it maybe felt a little more pressing then. But when the Rangers went and won that game, I think there was a confidence that, hey, let's let's just not let this get to a game seven. The Adolis one was tough because, you know, he had already set a record for most RBIs in a single postseason and most RBIs in a single round. You know, the the round he had against the Astros, I mean, it was just remarkable what he did. And, you know, he is very much the heartbeat of that lineup. He might not be the best player, but he is the heartbeat. Now, with that said, it was kind of fitting because a big part of the Rangers story, a big part of their identity this year has been getting back up after getting punched in the face, whether that's, you know, having some really, really rough losses amongst that stretch in August and September and, you know, continuing to just keep their head above water because the Rangers at one point were out of a playoff spot. They went from best team in the American League to out of a playoff spot, but they were able to fight and get back into the playoffs or coming back from down 3-2 against Houston, losing a heartbreaking game in game five, now having to go to Houston and win two games on the road to advance, and they did that. And then in the second half of the season, they lost five different All-Stars to the injured list, plus Max Scherzer, who was not an All-Star. In the first half of the season, they lost Jacob deGrom on April 28th for the rest of the year, and they lost Corey Seager for six weeks. So it's a team that they had to overcome that all year, and a big part of what they, they brought was depth. Their lineup was so good because of its depth, and so it was kind of fitting that in the final games of the year, their depth was tested. And Travis Jankowski started those final two games. And in the first of those two games, he went two for his first two and had a big double and, and an RBI single. And so not only did the Rangers win, but the guy who filled in for Adolis Garcia was productive. And it just kind of all made sense with the way their series went. How important was Bruce Brochi, a future Hall of Fame manager, to making this team a World Series champion? Yeah, I think he I think he played a huge role. I, I wish there was a better way to quantify how many wins a manager brings to the table. I, I, I can say with tremendous confidence that the Rangers with Bruce Bochy in the regular season, obviously you can't do any better than they did in the postseason, but in the regular season, they probably won more games with Bruce Bochy than they would have won with most managers. And part of what makes Bruce Bochy so great is his ability to navigate the bullpen. And some people you know, pointed and said, well, the Rangers bullpen was awful in the regular season. And it was. I mean, their their blown save percentage was historically bad. First team ever to make the playoffs blowing more than 50% of their saves. But I would contend that the success they had out of the bullpen, the times they were able to get it going was because of Bruce Bochy, you know, because of his ability to navigate it. I, I don't think this was a bullpen that was bad because of Bruce Bochy. I think, you know, they they were able to overcome deficits because of him. And then you know, the way they performed in the postseason, I think, was largely because of him. But I, I think the thing that stands out the most is just his disposition. 
the way he carries himself on a daily basis. You would never know if the team was best in the American League, worst in all of baseball, on the verge of the non-existent relegation. They could have lost a hundred nothing the day before. They could have won twenty-three to nothing the day before. And you just you never knew. And I think Bruce Bochy's personality permeated through his office into the clubhouse. And I think it was a, a contributing factor to the Rangers' disposition and ability to overcome some of those uppercut knockout punches it, it seemed like that they had endured throughout the season. On a lighter note, how much credit does the band Creed get for the World Series championship? Oh, man. <laughs> they get all the credit if they want it. It was a funny bit that really exploded in ways that no one expected and you know, ultimately led to Creed attending a Rangers game. And it was fun, you know, that whether it's Creed or some other little gimmick or joke or this or that, you know, every team throughout the course of a season has something that they rally around. And, you know, for this team, when they were struggling in the second half, it became Creed. And, you know, it probably was blown into proportions bigger than the reality. But, I mean, they did listen to Creed. They got together listen to Creed before games, whoever was available in the clubhouse. It wasn't like they had team meetings every night and listen to Creed, but Creed would be playing. It would be playing after wins. Guys had handshakes that were tied to Creed songs, and it was a fun deal for them. And I just think that if it provided any level of levity and distraction, in all seriousness, I would say it did contribute to some degree, but certainly not a overwhelming piece of the pie. But I think that it helped break up the monotony of a baseball season, especially during times in which the Rangers were not going home happy very often in August and early September. And having something to break up that and put smiles on faces, I think, always helps. Yeah, especially with the baseball season being so long, anything you can find to latch on to to basically build your team camaraderie will play a role in winning team success. And so finally... How was that parade? It was really special. I mean, I, I tell you that from the moment the Rangers recorded the final out and the celebration that took place on the field in the clubhouse and at the hotel that evening through the parade and even beyond, it's just been it's been euphoric. But that that parade was really special. And it's a great reminder of you know how many people care. And it's not that it's only limited to those people who attended the parade. I think it's the fact that so many did attend and there are so many who weren't able to attend. And you just you saw the emotion on people's faces and it was really special. You know, we were fortunate to have a, a broadcaster's trailer float or whatever it's called. And we were a part of the parade. And the reality is such a small percentage of folks in the parade even know who the heck we are, you know, facially or, you know, they, they recognize us or you know, were a part of their Rangers experience, either on the TV or radio side, they're there to see the players. And we know that, but it was just cool to be able to observe. And, you know, as we waved and thanked people, some of them might have said, who the heck is that guy? Or maybe they're like, Jared, get out of here. Dave Raymond, get out of here. You know, we want to, you know, we want to see Corey Seager. And that's fine. That's cool. Uh, But we had so much fun and it was just so great to see and feel what this World Series championship meant to so many. Well, Jared, that had to be a lot of fun for you and getting to be a broadcaster for a World Series champion is something that will be on your resume for the rest of your career, your life. So congratulations to you and the Texas Rangers on 
the World Series Championship. And thank you for joining me once again. Hopefully, the result of this game is going to be better than how it turned out when you were on last year. I hope so. Otherwise, I might never be asked back on. Let's hope uh, USC can get a win and end the regular season on a high note. I appreciate it. So, for my guest, Texas Rangers broadcaster Jared Sandler, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 94 of the Everything USC podcast presented by Bet Online on Believe, the place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. This is Believe. Every team, every topic, everywhere. And as always, I will end the show by telling all of you to remember to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.